In your seat, I invite you to keep your Bibles open there to James chapter 1 as we continue in our series through the book of James. We are still in chapter 1, almost completing this chapter. Next Sunday we will do that, but for now we are focused here on one of the last sections here in James chapter 1, and I invite you to keep the Word of God open to it and follow along as we Look at God's Word again here this morning. Bill Bowerman was a track and field coach at the University of Oregon when he founded Blue Ribbon Sports back in 1964. And along with his former student, Phil Knight, they opened up their very first retail store in 1966, and they launched the Nike brand shoe in 1972. The company was actually renamed Nike, in 1978, and it went public two years later. And by the early 21st century, Nike had retail outlets and distributors in more than 170 countries, and its logo, which all of you here are familiar with, that curved check mark called the swoosh, was recognized throughout the world. But here's what you may not know. Much of Nike's success is owed to its very first major TV campaign, that eventually made Nike one of the most popular brands in the entire world. That campaign is simply known as the Just Do It campaign. The commercials launched in 1988, and in those commercials it featured a 80-year-old running icon by the name of Walter Stack running across the Golden State Bridge. Just Do It is considered the best tagline of the 20th century by advertising executives, making most people believe that they can be successful, too, by wearing the Nike products. And even today, the slogan, just do it, it's hard to avoid in modern life as it still appears in magazines, in media, on bags, on T-shirts, and billboards all over the world. The creative genius behind the Just Do It campaign is by the guy by the name of Dan Wyden. But I'll stand here before you and say James actually is the first guy. He was the creative genius behind this all. For James himself said basically the same thing when it comes to God's word here in verse 22. When he writes to us, be doers of the word. Or in the motto of Nike, just do it. Now, last Sunday, we took time to learn about what it means to receive God's Word. Today, we're going to explore this idea that James has about doing the Word. And you immediately can begin to see the logic or James' flow of thought here as he connects these two ideas. In other words, for James, what he's telling us here is that receiving the Word of God logically means doing the Word of God in our lives. In fact, this is the whole theme of the book of James. James is writing this letter to exhort believers in Jesus Christ, like us here this morning, to live out real faith in real life. How? Or we might phrase the question like we did last Sunday when we looked at the subject or the topic of receiving God's Word. And that question is this. How do we begin to now grow in our new life in Christ that began with our new birth in Christ by the Word of God. 
And the answer that we saw last Sunday is the very first step in that is by receiving God's word humbly. And what we're going to see today is James finishes out that thought. He flushes it out now and completes it that it's not just by receiving God's word humbly, but it's also by doing God's word wholeheartedly. You see, James is very concerned about something here. He's very concerned about the the very real possibility of hearing the word, but not doing the word. And so he's warning us about the tendency that we all have here of just being content with listening, but not doing the word of God. You might remember last Sunday what James said in verse 21. He says, receiving with meekness or receiving with humility the implanted word which is able to save your souls. So what does that then look like? What does receiving the word of God actually mean? How do we know, in other words, if we have truly received God's word in our hearts? Well, James says the word has not been truly received in our hearts until it is put into practice in our lives when he writes here in verse 22, but be doers of the word and not hearers only. You see, James is concerned about this. He wants to be sure that we are connecting hearing the word with doing the word. Why? Because if we're going to live out real faith in real life, then we must do the word in real life. Yes, we already saw last Sunday, the word of God has been implanted in us. But that does not mean that our role is now passive. It's not that we now just sit back and do nothing while the word of God just automatically grows in our lives and does this thing. No, James is saying to us here that as believers in Jesus Christ, who've been given new life in Christ by the power of the word, We now need to be doers of that word and not hearers only so that we might now grow in our life in Christ. In other words, that we might live out real faith in real life. James is saying to us here, listening is vital. We learned that last Sunday. Hearing the word is vital, but merely hearing is just as foolish as not listening. In fact, this word for hears that James uses is the same word the Greeks used in James' day for a student in the university who was an an auditor, one who audited a class at school. It it refers to a very attentive listener, and some of you are very familiar with this concept of auditing a class or or being an auditor. If you audit a class, you're an auditor who is someone who who sits in a college class with other students. You, You listen to the teacher, as other students do, You have the same advantages of learning, and you can actually benefit from what the teacher is saying and what the teacher is teaching. The difference between an audit student, though, and a credit student is that the audit student has some of the same advantages but doesn't have the same privileges, doesn't have the same responsibilities. You see, he doesn't have to do all the reading assignments that a credit student does. He doesn't have to write any other papers that a credit student does. He doesn't have to take the pop quizzes. He doesn't have to take the midterm exam and the final exam. Why? Because he's a hearer only and not a doer. 
And consequently, an audit student cannot become a, a practicing engineer, a practicing lawyer, a practicing nurse, or a practicing mechanic or teacher. Why? Because they are not licensed now to practice because they never did the coursework. And likewise, James is basically saying it to us here, don't be an auditor only of God's word. Don't be just a hearer only. Be a doer of the word. In other words, James is saying, if we're going to practice our faith, if we're going to live out real faith in real life, if we're going to be a practicing Christian, like a practicing doctor or practicing mechanic, you cannot just audit the word of God. That is, if you're going to live out real faith in real life, then you must, James is saying here, you must be a doer of the word and not just a hearer only. But why bother? Why is that so important? Well, I love this. That's one reason why I like the book of James. And James himself, as he writes this, is because he tells us why this should matter to our lives, why this is important, why, why we should bother with making sure we are not hearers only, but doers of the word. He tells us, look in this, at the end of verse 22, he says, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. And then James says at the end of verse 25, he will be blessed in his doing. So why bother with being doers of the word and not hearers only? Well, here's why. Notice this in your notes. Hearing God's word and not doing it, James says, leads to deception. But hearing God's word and doing it leads to blessing. That's why this matters. That's why this is important. And so James is telling us two things here immediately that's related to the word of God. He's saying hearing the word and not doing it leads to self-deception in your life. But hearing the word and doing it leads to blessing in your life. Now, this is not the first time that James has talked about deception and blessing. You might remember Back in verse 12, he talked about the blessing of remaining steadfast in the trials of life. And then in verse 16, he warned us, don't be deceived about God's goodness in those trials. And now James builds on this deception and blessing when it comes to the word of God by giving us two commands. The first of which is this. Number one, the first command, don't be a forgetful hearer of God's word. Don't be a forgetful hearer of God's word. Now, James underlines this command with a snapshot from everyday life. He gives us an illustration. Look what he writes in verses 23 and 24. He says, for if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man. So he's making this analogy now for us. He's he's given us an illustration that if you're a hearer only and not a doer, You're like this person here. And look what he says about this person. You're like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. And so what James is doing here is basically saying something to us. And he's telling us that how we approach the word of God is like how we approach a mirror. Whenever we look at the word, we are like someone who looks at his face in a mirror. But notice this. Here's what truly matters, James is saying. It's not the look that we take in the mirror or the look that we take in the word of God, 
But rather, James is emphasizing what matters most is the action we take as a result of looking in the mirror or in the Word of God. Now, James used an illustration of a mirror to show us how the actions of forgetful here are foolish. In fact, we're going to see the actions of a forgetful here are even dangerous to our spiritual lives, to our souls. And so notice this. Here's the principle that James is, is highlighting for us with this illustration of the mirror. He's basically saying this, that a forgetful here is like a man who, who looks at his face in the mirror, but he goes away and he forgets what he was like. Now, everyone knows that when you look into a mirror, it reveals what you look like. And we all know the mirror never lies, right? Except if you're the wicked queen in Snow White. Then the mirror lies. You see, the mirror helps us to evaluate our appearance and then make the necessary changes based on what we see in the mirror. Now, I'm... I'm pretty confident of this, that none of us showed up here this morning looking like we did when we first saw ourselves in the mirror this morning, right? There's been a tremendous amount of rearranging, should we say, even redoing to make ourselves a little more presentable here in church or in public. Very few of us stepped in front of the mirror this morning and did nothing in response to what we saw. Some of you, yes, might have looked in the mirror and simply said, yeah, that's me. Kind of like that, not a big deal. And then you maybe took your hands and combed your hair. And you walked away. But you did at least something. Others of you might have looked in the mirror and said, oh, my. And that's when the remodeling process began. The reality is this, though. Nobody, nobody, at least in their right mind, looks in the mirror and does nothing unless you're a middle school boy. And only then will you look in the mirror and walk away and do nothing. This is why we use mirrors. Because they show us a problem so that we can fix the problem. What we generally never do, or at least should never do, is what this man in the illustration of the mirror does. And that is nothing. James says it's foolish to be someone who who goes away from the mirror And notice the words he used, and immediately forgets what he looks like. In other words, here's what James is saying. He said, once we see that we're going to be a public embarrassment with either unruly hair or maybe food stuck in the teeth or mascara running down the cheek, we don't ignore that fact. Otherwise, there would be no point in looking in the mirror in the first place. Now, obviously, James' point here of this illustration, it's not complicated. This is easy for us to understand. God's word, what he's saying, is to have the same kind of effect on us as a physical mirror that we look in every day of our lives. In other words, we're supposed to act on what it shows us, and we're supposed to act right away. Notice the mirror of God's word. Let's let's connect the dots here. Let's take the analogy that James uses of a mirror to now connecting it to the Word of God, and you see it here in your notes, just as a mirror is honest and inaccurately reflecting our outward condition, God's Word is honest in accurately reflecting our inward condition. 
In other words, our, our true spiritual condition of the heart. The question is, how will you and I respond to what we see in the mirror of God's word? You see, like a mirror, God's word, it shows us what we are really like, not so much on the outside, but what we are truly like on the inside. It shows us our true inward condition. This is consistent with the rest of Scripture. Hebrews, for example, in chapter 4, verse 12, it actually describes God's word as this double-edged sword. And so as we read God's word, as we hear God's word, it goes on to say in that verse that it pierces our soul and spirit, discerning the thoughts and intentions of our hearts. In other words, the power of God's word is this. It challenges us. It confronts us, and it convicts us. In other words, whenever you receive God's word, whenever you read it and hear it and truly receive it, one of the things happens is that the word of God shows you you, the true you, the true condition of your spiritual state. But here's the problem with the man in the mirror. And this is the main point of James' illustration here. And that problem is that this man in the mirror immediately forgets what he saw in the mirror. In other words, here's a man who looks at his face in the mirror, and then seconds later, he could not even pick himself out of a police lineup because he forgets what he looks like. And James is using this illustration to tell us what we are not to do when it comes to the Word of God. James is saying, don't be like that guy. Don't be like this forgetful hearer of God's Word. Now, you need to understand that James is not describing a man with poor memory. This is not about how well you memory, memorize something or how often you forget. This is He's not describing a man with poor memory, but rather a man with poor priorities. You see, he doesn't remember what he saw in the mirror of God's word because he doesn't regard it as very important. The word of God is not high on his priority. It's not a passion of his. And the problem of being this forgetful here was a, very, was a recurring problem with God's people all through the Old Testament. You might remember that after God's people entered the promised land, Moses comes before them and he warned them in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 12. He says, be careful not to forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the place of slavery. Two chapters later, Moses warns them again in chapter 8, verse 11. He says, be careful that you don't forget the Lord your God by failing to keep his commands, ordinances, and statutes that I'm giving you today. Psalm 103, verse 2, warns God's people to forget none of his benefits. And, and later on, that same chapter, in verse 18, it promises that the Lord's loving kindness is on those who remember to keep his commandments. You see, God's people, they did not have a memory problem. They had a priority problem when it came to the word of God. In other words, God's word was not all that important to them. It was an option for them. 
take it or leave it. They weren't committed to doing the word of God as Moses instructed them, as God did through Moses. Consequently, God was always reminding his people all through the Old Testament to remember the word. Don't forget God. And the idea of forget and remember is all about doing what it says. So it's not a memory problem. It's a priority problem. And this this priority problem leads to a very dangerous problem that James now identifies as self-deception. This is the deception of forgetful hearers in verse 22. Notice it in your notes, and that is they deceive themselves. About what? Thinking they are living out real faith in real life when they are not. This is the danger that James is concerned about. Because there is a danger for people who, who claim to be Christians to spend their time merely hearing the word, but not doing the word. The danger is that we can then begin to deceive ourselves into thinking, oh yeah, I hear the word even though I don't do the word, and I'm really living out real faith and real life because I'm just hearing the word, but I'm not doing the word. And James says, no, you're deceiving yourself. You are self-deceived. And to be deceived here is the idea of this is to be blinded to the reality of one's true religious state. It's to think that you are right with God when you're not. And James is saying that is the case for people who are forgetful hearers of the word, but not faithful doers of the word. And the reason James says this, because James knows the power of God's word. You see, for James, and it should be for us here, the Word of God, the bottom line is that God's Word, listen, it always provokes action, or it should elicit response. And if there's no action in response to the Word, then James is saying there has been no true receiving of the Word. And James, for him, this is how he defines faith. This is the essence of faith. In fact, James in chapter 2, we'll describe faith in more depth. But here in chapter 1, we see this reality that those who have truly believed in Jesus Christ, they have truly received Christ for their salvation. James says, listen, if that is true of you, here's what will happen. You will obey Jesus. No, not perfectly, but there will be a change in your life. Because faith works itself out. You will obey Jesus because he's now your Savior and your King. And to think any differently than that, James says, is to live in self-deception. In fact, 1 John chapter 2, verse 4 says, Whoever says, I know him, that is, I know Jesus, but does not keep his commandments is a liar. And the truth is not in him. And James says, you're blind to your true spiritual condition if you claim to have heard and received God's word for salvation, yet you fail to act on it in real life. James is saying you're deceiving yourself. Now, we, you might remember that when we first began the study, we said that James is the half-brother of Jesus Christ. 
James was constantly, throughout the book of James here, he borrows from Jesus, his teachings here when he was on this earth. And primarily, he borrows from Jesus' teaching on the Sermon on the Mount. In fact, right here, James is even echoing Jesus when Jesus said in Luke chapter 6, verse 46, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I tell you? One pastor, Abraham Brownrigg, once said, to deceive is bad, to deceive yourselves is worse, to deceive yourselves about your souls is worst of all. So this is serious. There's a serious danger here that James is warning us about in hearing the word but not doing the word and then thinking to yourself, I'm all right with God. Merely... Because you call Jesus, quote, Lord. Sure, these people may act on things in God's word that they agree with. They may do some things in God's word when it's convenient for them. But when God's word begins to confront their lifestyle, when God's word begins to challenge their priorities, when God's word begins to try to change them to live God's ways instead of their way, what do they do? They put it aside. They neglect the word. They don't obey the word. In essence, what James says, they forget it. That's James' definition of forget. And so be careful if this describes your life. Because James is warning us that this is not true Christianity. This is not the true Christian life. In other words, James is saying if you're a hearer only and not a doer, this is not real faith in real life. So James says, don't be this way. Don't be a forgetful hearer of God's word. Why? Because he says, you're like a man who looks in the mirror but goes away and does nothing. This person is self-deceived in thinking they are right with God when they're not. Therefore, that person needs to examine his heart. That person needs to examine their relationship with the Lord. Is it genuine or not? Is it real? That's what James is after here. And then the positive is, he says, number two, do be this kind of person. Be a faithful doer of God's word. So turning from the folly of a forgetful hearer, James now focuses our attention on the wisdom of a faithful doer of the word of God. And we see this in verse 25. Look at it with me again. Notice it in your Bibles where James writes, but the one... And so we see this word, but, and so James is contrasting now. He's contrasting the two. He's contrasting the forgetful here with the faithful doer. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no here who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. So what do we learn here about faithful doers of God's word? Well, we learned three things. Faithful doers do three things. Number one, faithful doers, they look intently into God's word. They look intently. This word look that James uses, it actually means to stoop down and look, but to look closely or intently at something. So it's the idea of stooping down to get a, you're up here to look closely. In fact, it's the same idea to describe Peter, when he stooped down to look into the empty tomb in John chapter 20, verse 5, it's like when a kid 
sees a bug crawling on the floor, and what does he do? It captures his attention, and now he, he squats down. He stoops down to, to look at the bug crawling on the floor, and then he comes back and gives you a report about it. Mom, Mom, I saw this bug. It was fast. You know, that's the idea. Now, notice something, though. Notice this. The forgetful hearer and the faithful doer, both of them look intently. So the comparison that James is making is not between this this casual glance by the man with the mirror and this careful gaze by the man with the word. James is telling us both these people look intently. One looks intently into the mirror. One looks intently into the word of God. In other words, both are equally gripped by what they see. Which means this, forgetful hearers, like a forgetful doer, they start well when it comes to looking into God's word. The difference between the two is what happens next after they look intently. And that's the emphasis that James is making here. Notice this, the forgetful hearer looks at himself, James says, in the mirror and goes away and forgets what he was like. Whereas the faithful doer, James says, looks into the perfect law and what? Perseveres. So one forgets, goes away and forgets, one perseveres and acts. The faithful doer, he keeps on looking into God's word, or literally it means he continues in the company of God's word. And so faithful doers look intently into God's word, and they continue to look intently into God's word. Why? So that they can put into practice, number two, faithful doers remember constantly God's word. And and, and remember... James' definition of remember, it's not a memory issue, it's an obedience. So for James, remember is always connected with doing. So in contrast to this forgetful hearer, James describes a faithful doer as being a hearer, being no hearer who forgets. It's what Moses told God's people in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 5 through 9, where it says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. These words that I'm giving you today are to be in your heart. Repeat them to your children. Talk about them when you sit in your house and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up. Bind them as a sign on your hand and let them be as a symbol on your forehead. Write them on the doorpost of your house and on your city gates. In other words, faithful doers remember God's word. Why? So that they can do God's word. That's the point James is making. That is, they, they lodge God's word in their hearts, in their minds. They always have it before them. They're meditating on it, as the psalmist talks about in Psalm chapter 1. Psalm 119, 15 through 16 says, I will meditate on your precepts or your commandments and think about your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. And so when you meditate on, when you think about, when you delight in God's word, you will find yourself remembering God's word for the purpose of doing God's word. It's what Paul tells us to do here in Philippians chapter 4, verses 8 through 9, when he says, Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything praiseworthy, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, Practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. 
So faithful doers remember God's word, but remember, for James, remembering is for the purpose of doing, which brings us to the third thing that faithful doers do. They obey wholeheartedly God's word. James calls this person, it's interesting, the phrase he uses, a doer who acts, which is kind of repetitive. A doer who acts. That's the, the, what he calls them. That's his description. It's a doer who obeys God's word. It's also interesting how different James uses, how, the different ways that James describes the word of God here in this first chapter. For example, James describes God's word in verse 18 as the word of truth which gives us birth. In other words, it's what gives us new birth into new life. And in verse 21, he describes God's word as the implanted word which is able to save your souls. And here in verse 25, he now calls it the perfect law. He's referring to the word of God as the perfect law. Law. Why? Because all of Scripture is inerrant, it's sufficient, it's comprehensive, and it encompasses all of God's Word. That is the perfect law. And by referring here specifically to God's Word as law, James is emphasizing something for us. And what do you think that might be? He's emphasizing that God's Word is to be obeyed. It's no different in our our country, in our states. We have laws, right? The expectation is when there's a law, citizens are to obey it. James has given us the same concept here by changing the description of God's word. It's all about the word of God, but now he's emphasizing the perfect law aspect about it. That means we can never read God's word and just say to ourselves, well, that doesn't really speak into my life right now. I think I'll just ignore it. Nor can we say, I don't like what that says. So I'll just disregard that verse. No, all of God's word, James says, is perfect. And it's exactly what we need as Christians, and all of it is intended to change our lives. And so as we obey God's word, James also emphasizes something else. He says as we obey it, we will discover something. We'll discover freedom. Did you catch that? It's why James adds this phrase after the perfect law. He calls it the perfect law, the law of what? The law of liberty. The law of liberty. Now, I'll be the first to admit that sounds rather ridiculous. In fact, it sounds ridiculous to most people today. Obey all of God's word and you'll be free and you'll even feel free. I mean, the idea that a law can lead to freedom seems absurd. Especially in our culture today. And that's because we have misunderstood what true freedom is. If I may, listen to what Sam Albury writes in his commentary on James. He says this. Western society tends to think of freedom purely in terms of the absence of restriction. The idea is that if we 
remove all constraints, we end up with freedom. And so the imposition of boundaries and rules is a restriction of freedom by definition. But in the Bible, real freedom is not the absence of any and every constraint, but rather it is the presence of the right kind of constraint. And then he gives this example. He says, removing a fish from water does not give the fish more freedom, but less. It is designed to live in the water, not apart from it. Freedom from water is a removal of constraint, but it is also for a fish a complete misunderstanding of what freedom really is. And that's what we have going on in our culture today, and it is seeping into the mindset of the church today. James is saying this, our true freedom is only found when we are living in the environment in which we were designed to flourish in. And James says that is in obedience to the Word of God. That's the environment in which we find freedom. And as we live by God's Word, James is saying we will experience true life. Only then can we properly say that we are free. Why? Because God's word is the perfect law that gives true liberty, gives true freedom. God's word has the power to free us from the bondage of sin in order to live a life of righteousness. What James says, true faith in real life or real faith in real life. Paul writes about the same thing in Romans chapter 6, 16 through 18. He says, don't you know that if you offer yourself to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of that one you obey, either of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness. But thank God that although you used to be slaves of sin, you obeyed from the heart that pattern of teaching to which you were handed over. And having been set free from sin, you became enslaved now to righteousness. For Paul, that is true freedom. In all of this, it means that obedience to God's word, it should never be something for a believer in Christ that we resent. If there's something in the word of God that you resent, you need to check your heart. Why? Because every command that God gives us as his children is for our good. That's why James, earlier in verses 17 and 18, that's why he talked about the, the goodness of God, and God is always good even in our trials. So James, is he's saying to us, listen, and he's doing this pastorally with love. He's saying, listen, don't be deceived here. Don't be deceived in your thinking, especially the thinking of our culture when it comes to what freedom is. Instead, James is exhorting us here. He's pleading with us, live out the wonderful freedom that comes only from obeying the Word of God. In other words, James is saying, life is never better without God's Word. And it is never poor with it. No command we obey will ever work against us, and ignoring a command will never end up being better for us. So don't disregard the Word of God. 
Don't disobey God's word. Why? Because it is the perfect law that will bring us true freedom in Jesus Christ. And this is the wonderful blessing that James writes of as a result of our obedience at the end of verse 25. When he says, he will be blessed in all his doing. This also becomes our motivation as Christ followers to be faithful doers. Is to know we have a promise from God that we will be blessed by God in what we do in this life and for all eternity. So the question then becomes for us, do you want to be blessed? And if James were here in the person, he would say to you, then hear the word, remember the word, and then do the word. In other words, don't be a forgetful hearer. Don't just read the word and then see what needs to be changed in your life and then walk away and forget. No, 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 no. Be a faithful doer of God's word. Look into the word of God. Keep looking into it. Remember the word as you look into it, as you live your life, and then practice it, do it, obey it. Why? Because, listen to me, God blesses our doing, not our hearing only. You see, the only way God will bestow his blessing upon your life is when you, yes, hear the word, but you also do the word. Jesus said it this way in Luke chapter 11, verse 28. He said, blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. Jesus told his disciples in John 13, verse 17, now that you know these things, in other words, now that you've heard me teach these things to you, you will be blessed if you do them. So the only way to unlock God's blessing upon your life is by doing God's word. For God blesses my doing, not my hearing only. So James says to us very pastorally, lovingly, yet very firmly, don't be a forgetful hearer of God's word. Instead, be a faithful doer of God's word. Now, let me quickly summarize everything we've learned so far today when it comes to receiving and doing God's word. So here's the question. What makes the difference between being deceived and being blessed? And here's how we answer that question. Notice this in your notes coming up on the screen. Both the man with the mirror and the man with the word, both of them do what? They look intently. In other words, each is equally focused and serious in their gaze. The difference is the man with the mirror goes away and forgets what he saw, but the man with the word perseveres and acts on what he saw. Therefore, James says to us, be doers of the word and not hearers only. Now, let me leave you with a reality check. Two minutes here. And here's the reality check. Faithful doers, listen to me, faithful doers know they need a mirror every day in their life. I'll say it again. Faithful doers know They desperately need a mirror every day. 
James says a faithful doer perseveres in the word. In other words, a faithful doer, he or she keeps looking into God's word. And so like you, I, I need a mirror every morning that I wake up. I don't know if I'm the only one. That's me. I need a mirror every morning I wake up. Sometimes I need a mirror more than once a day because it doesn't take long for me to develop what we could call appearance issues. You know what I'm talking about? All of a sudden, I find taco sauce right here. I got appearance issues. I got something stuck in my teeth, and my wife doesn't tell me about it. I got appearance issues. All of a sudden, my hair is a mess. I have a parent. You get the idea. You ladies, maybe you got mascara that's run down one eye. Appearance issues. It happens all the time. And so think about it. If we need to fix our face or comb our hair every day, how often do you think we need to look into the mirror of God's Word then? I don't know about you, but... It is scary. Oh, it is scary to think how unkept my heart, my soul will become if I look into the mirror of God's Word only once a week, once a month, whatever the case may be. And unfortunately, that's what's happening with far too many Christians today. We think we can get by by only looking into the Word once a week here on Sunday morning. And I would simply challenge you to consider, listen, if you need a mirror every morning just to keep up your appearance physically on the outside, how much more do you think you need God's Word to do a work on the inside? That's what James is getting at here. Be a faithful doer. But being a faithful doer means we persevere in the word of God because we understand it is the perfect law of God that gives me freedom in this life like nothing else can. Do you believe that? Don't be deceived by what our culture says. That's the message of James here. I hope and I pray you embrace it. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you again for your word that is preserved for us in the scriptures. A word that gives us new life and is able to save our souls and give us true freedom in Jesus Christ. Lord, deliver us from the deception that hearing your word is enough. Give us the grace to be faithful doers of your word who experience your wonderful blessing upon our lives. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.